1: where every Saturday during Black History Month, vendors will be on hand as part of Buy Black Buffalo. The promotion offers incentives for shoppers, among other activities of the market, and we had a chance to speak with three of the small business owners.
0: My name is Elisa Officer, and I'm one of the co-owners of Unapologetic Coffee.
1: And uh, you're a Crenetius grad, right?
0: Yep, we graduated, my twin sister-in, in 2010 and 12.
1: Okay, and so you decided to start a coffee business.
0: Yeah, it was like one of those things where we said, why not? We loved coffee, but we recognized that there wasn't a lot of coffee um, on Buffalo's East Side. So we decided to open up a location there along with roasting it ourselves.
1: Okay. And how is now? So you have a retail location.
0: Then, mm-hmm. so yeah. We're online and we have a brick and mortar. We're at 1375 Main Street. And we've been there for, we're we just graduated our first year.
1: Yeah? Yeah. What they say the first couple of years for a small business is really tough. Um,
0: it's tough because you're learning everything. It's more than just your passion, right? So we're learning how to run business, how to work together as a team. It's very important to us. Um, you know, putting our faces out there, being more um, in the community. Like, we've always done that. But thinking of it as, like, this is the brand in the community, it's very important to us. So I think our first year is really successful. We are very thankful for the support we've gotten.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What uh, so? What's the hope for the business? I mean, is there? Yeah, I mean, I know you don't want to take a, a day at a time, but I'm sure you have a long-term business plan and all that Oh 10, my 000. goodness!
0: If I was to tell you our hopes and dreams, it would be to grow our own coffee ourselves, really? roast it all, and now serve it. You out. can't
1: just do it. With Buffalo yeah, Man, you can't do it. But like,
0: <laughs> we have some hopes to maybe one day, you know, be the producers of our own coffee as well. If I was telling you, the biggest goal we had, but also just bringing more of that um, specialty coffee to Buffalo and recognize it in like marginalized communities. It's very important to us that people understand that coffee is solely produced by black and brown hands and educating them on like quality coffee and quality products. So if I was just say locally, but like my biggest dream is to buy a plantation for my own coffee.
1: Where would you, is there an ideal place for the plantation?
0: Um, there's only about so many places in the world. You can obviously have one. We were looking into um, certain regions in South America, maybe in the Caribbean somewhere. But we would just love it if we can have any location, honestly. We'd be thankful for any place.
1: Have you gone to Scott locations yet or just kind of doing it online kind of a thing,
0: well, our hope was, well, we opened during COVID, so we really couldn't go anywhere. So the goal is to go to all of our farms and visit every single local family farm that we work with.
1: Yeah, that's right. Let's talk about uh, the, the places mm-hmm. where your coffee does come from.
0: So we get coffee from Peru. It's a collective of different farmers in Peru, a family farm in Brazil, a collective of farmers from Colombia. Collective of all women in Ethiopia, and then um, the Highland Islands in Sumatra is where we get our Sumatra from. In Indonesia, sorry. Okay,
1: and um, it's called Unapologetic Coffee. Yes. There's got to be a story behind that name. Oh,
0: there's always a story, right? So, (laughs)
1: um,
0: essentially, my twin sister and I—we like we said—we wanted to open like maybe a franchise on Buffalo's East Side, and we were pretty much told that there wasn't a market over there to have coffee. I know, and. Rather than just kind of like kicking ourselves when we were down, we're like, you know what, we're going to just do this and stop asking for permission and just do it and we'll ask for forgiveness later. And one day we were sitting there with a potential investor and an investor asked us, like, are you sure you want your faces on it, the colors, the fonts? And I kind of just outwardly said, like, we're unapologetically black. Like, this is our culture. This isn't about color. This is our culture. And so if that's going to be a problem, then maybe this isn't an investor for us. And so my sister, like, in the background was like, that's the name!
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> so i so you're originally from Buffalo? Yeah, both of us. Born and raised. So, so when you're talking about uh, black culture, we're also talking about Buffalo black culture, Yes, right? absolutely. And you would, would you say that as you see it, that yeah, Buffalo's a, culture is a little different than other cities.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, like historically, we obviously know Buffalo is one of the most segregated cities, you know, major cities in the world. But I think like. I think it's understated that that African American culture is rich in history, and so we don't always give like that um, credit where credit is due. And so we have such a strong culture within ourselves, and that like we lean on our neighbors' mentality. That people forget that that's very important to everyone. Like we are the city of good neighbors. However, it's nice to feel invited to go everywhere in Buffalo, right? And I think that's the one thing that if I were to have my hopes and dreams, is that we were. Everyone in the city of Buffalo can feel like they're comfortable in every part. That's like our ideal world.
1: All right. Now, uh, I want to know, this is something we ask a lot, I don't know, a show that we do. Mm-hmm. What does Buffalo need? What does Buffalo need? What would be your thoughts to me? Um, Buffalo needs...
0: It needs people to start recognizing that we are in the Renaissance. Like, we are not the 1980s city that we used to be. Like, you know, we kept it a secret for so long, but it's a hub, it's a tech hub, it's a cultural hub. You know, it is a refugee hub that people need to start to recognize that we are not the little sister of New York City. And I think once people realize that, um, they're gonna start to see what we all see, why we love to live here, why we, you know, most Buffalonians leave and come back. You know, there's something
1: about it. And uh, you kind of answered it there, but I'll ask it anyway. So what's best about Buffalo?
0: Um, I think, to me, it's being in a city, but still feeling like you're in a town. You know, feeling like I can get to anywhere in eight minutes is the best feeling in the world. <laughs> is And I think that overall, because I, I, I left, I used to live in New York, and I, when I remember coming home one day and I'm sitting on the porch with my dog, and just letting him like walk around outside, you know, in the grass. I'm like, I can't do that everywhere, you know. I can't just walk places. So I think some of my favorite parts about the city is that like we are a city, but we feel like a town sometimes.
1: And then also this program that's, there's a kind of an, that come under this umbrella for this event here today is Buy Black Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, just talk about that program a little bit.
0: So my choice is when I work with Buy Black Buffalo for a few events, and it's, it's really just like um, highlighting a lot of the black businesses in Buffalo that are out there. I think small business is already hard, and then being a part of our minority group was even harder. And so sometimes it's nice to know like who else is there with you, who else is going through the same struggles. And so what Buy Black Buffalo is allowing is for people to um, go to these new, maybe, Restaurants have been there forever, but people didn't know about them. And so with this event, it's giving away these gift certificates for anyone who, and you know, Broadway Market is its own following. People who come here are now like, oh, let me go try this new restaurant. They're really taking it to a new level this year versus like last year where we were all invited to come to Broadway Market. This year, it's like beyond that. So it's really cool what they're doing. It's basically grant funded, but they are um, supporting black business as well as like going around the city and seeing where everything is, you know? It's really opening, I think, gonna open up people's eyes to what exists around the city of Buffalo.
1: Well, thanks very much for your Thank time. Thank you. I'll let you get back to your business time.
0: Thanks, Jay.
1: Thanks, my pleasure again. Alicia Officer of Unapologetic Coffee, who took some time out to chat with us between pours for her many customers last Saturday at the broadway market she was among the vendors as part of the promotion by black buffalo
2: my name is lynette elliott and i am the owner of essentials body care llc we offer all natural skin and hair care products all made by me with love (laughs) from raw ingredients um we have sugar scrubs we have whipped body butter we have all natural soaps as well as body washes. We are here at the Broadway Market every Saturday for the month of February um, for Buy Black Buffalo. We are also have a store located at 1585 Kenmore Avenue, Suite 108 in the city of Buffalo. We are located between Delaware and Elmwood Avenue.
1: So you've given me a lot to go on there already. That's for sure, a lot of information. But I'm still to still try to come up with some questions. To keep sure. Going. So, um, what about uh, your hopes for this event? This, you know, coming here, being here at the Broadway Market on these Saturdays in February.
2: My goal is to make the consumers in the area, in the community aware that these businesses do exist. I also want to be able to give back to the community since my business was started in this community through doing events such as this, um, to be able to give them a little bit of something and let them know we're here, we're catering to your needs so whatever you got, we can do something with your skin, with your hair, we got something to cover all of those for you and we wanted you to know that we're gonna give back to the community that helped
1: us start. So when did you start your business?
2: I started my business June 13th of 2020. Um, I started out doing vendor events. Um, My first one was at Johnny B. Wiley Stadium on Jefferson Invest, and it just took off from there.
1: So took off, so small businesses can struggle early on, but you you use the term took off, so you feel like you've done very well in your first couple of years.
2: I have done well. Um, I was able to open a brick and mortar. Um, in August of 2022. So definitely that. Um, it is not without hard work because it does take hard work and dedication and consistency. Um, we, my husband and I packed up the car sometimes two, three times a week um, to do these events. And we got there early and we stayed late. Um, we actually made flyers when the events were coming up. We got out there, handed out flyers, posted it on social media. So it did take a lot of work. So it, it took off, but it took off because of the hard work. And that's literally it.
1: And it's interesting because as you were talking about packing up the, the, the car and getting the flyers out and all that, that's just one part of it. You make these products as well. Correct. How did you get into making these products?
2: (laughs) Um, This business actually was started as a dedication to my grandmother who passed away from lung cancer in 2005, actually June 13th of 2005. Um, I took it hard because she was such a big part of my life. My parents were very young when they had me and she helped them raise me. Um, and they lived upstairs from her for the first five years, <laughs> so I was definitely my grandmother's baby. Um, and she was big on skincare, um, and I just I struggled everywhere every year on June 13th. And my husband's like, you gotta find something. Like, you can't keep doing this to yourself. It's it's taking a toll on you. You have to find something to celebrate her. So I prayed about it, went to sleep, got up the next morning, went on the internet, and a Groupon ad popped up for aromatherapy. Well, the ironic part about that is, like I said, she was big on skincare and, and taking care of your skin. I was not allowed to wear makeup, and even as an adult, I did not wear makeup around her. Um, but also, I was the granddaughter that was in charge of buying her perfume, no matter what the holiday. So, of course, aromatherapy combines those two things, skin care as well as um, therapeutic care through scents. Um, so with that inspiration, I bought a $10 mixer. And a, a, a che- manual cheese grater from Family Dollar. Shout out to Family Dollar. And I got these jars that you can write on with chalk. And I went in the kitchen and mixed some stuff up. And um, my closest friends and family, I dropped off bags to them and said, try this. Let me know what you think. So they were, they were brutally honest. <laughs> um, the things that were really good, they let me know. The things that they would change, they also let me know. Um, so I went back to the drawing board a couple of times and literally we started out with four cents of body butter and that was all we offered. Um, so when I say take off, we not only are we now able to offer body butter, we do sugar scrubs, we do uh, all natural soap, we do body washes, we also have expanded into the hair care um, specifically for minorities and their hair textures and types. We offer hair growth serums, by, uh, Hair butter, hot oil treatments, um, so we have a little bit of everything for everyone.
1: Did you say hair growth serums? Oh my goodness.
2: This is our hair growth serum. Do you know, can
1: you find anybody around here who might need a hair, hair growth serum? I don't know. <laughs> <gasps> Let's keep a secret between us. On We're that
2: not going to tell anyone. I wasn't going to say anything if you didn't say anything, <laughs> Thank you so. Very much.
1: I appreciate <laughs> your, you're very gracious, very gracious. And you know, um, what about this idea that, you know, under this umbrella of Buy Black Buffalo, this program, what can you tell me about it? I mean, how is it? Are you involved in it? I mean, is it working out okay for you? Or are you just, just seeing what it's about right now? I,
2: honestly, this is my first time doing mm-hmm. it. Um, I've done other events for Black like, History Month the previous two years. Um, this actually seems to be on a grander scale than what I've done in the past. Um, and it really is promoted well um, through the city of Buffalo and the fact that they're offering these gift certificates as an incentive um, for people to buy is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So shout out to the Buffalo Bills Foundation um, for doing those so that not only do we have people buying our stuff, we have them buying from someone else here as well. So that is a very genius idea um, to drum up the business and get people to buy from more than one of the vendors.
1: Are you originally from Buffalo?
2: I'm originally from Buffalo, born and bred. So you know
1: Buffalo well. Yes. There's a question we uh, ask a a lot of people. um, What does Buffalo need? It's a big question that can be answered a lot of different ways, but when you think about it, and I can see you're thinking about it, what does Buffalo need?
2: First thing I'm gonna say first and foremost is prayer. We need a lot of prayer. There's um, there's a lot going on that needs to be addressed. Um, we need jobs. Back in the day, you had Bethlehem Steel, you had GM, you had Ford, um, you had those big union companies, um, and you know, with those closing and, and downsizing, there is such a need to pump money into the economy here. Um, it's ridiculous. Um, it's it's a struggle. It definitely is a struggle. You. Gone are the days where the husband worked and the wife stayed at home and took care of the kids full time. It takes more than one income, and it takes more than one good income. Um, and when you're struggling making fifteen dollars an hour with two or three kids, it's not going to work. Um, and it, it actually makes people depressed and feel hopeless. And then they're ready to leave, and um, they don't they. I have to take care of my family first and foremost so if I can go move to another city and make double what I'm making here that's the move I'm going to make so if we put prayer back in things if we put God first and then if we pump some money into this economy here Buffalo can flourish like it did back in the day
1: and if uh somebody you know a minority here in Buffalo was thinking about starting their own small business like you have any uh, advice for them
2: um, I would definitely um, reach out to the continuing education programs that are available um, through you've done
1: that yes it's I actually
2: you? I actually am in the um, minority and Women's Emerging Entrepreneurs Program. I'll be graduating in June.
3: <laughs> um, thank you. There's
2: a lot of with running the business as well, but they offer so many programs. They um, check out their website, check out their Facebook page. They have the master class as well as the boot camp coming up. Those classes are free. Take advantage of them. Any opportunities that you can to learn about small businesses and be educated about starting a business because I kind of... Did the business and then found out about stuff afterwards, so <laughs> kinda have to go back. But if you have that information from the beginning, it will help you sustain through those tough first couple of years.
1: And I'm gonna ask this and it seems pretty obvious, but do you love being a small business owner?
2: Absolutely. Um I was actually able to retire from corporate America.
1: Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so um,
2: it is it sounds cliche, but it is so true. Once you find your passion, you never work another day in your life. And honestly, literally, I could do this all day long. I get literally I there's sometimes I go down in my in my lab, as my husband calls it, and I'm down there for hours and hours and hours and I, he's, he comes and he's like, Are you ever coming upstairs? And I'm like, Absolutely not. I'm sorry, I'm working on something. I will see you
1: in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Very good, very good. Well, thanks for your time.
2: Oh, you are quite welcome, and it was a pleasure meeting you.
1: Lynette Elliott of Essentials Body Care, who chatted with us early last Saturday morning at the Broadway Market, the early hour, and the cold weather provided space to talk to one other small business owner.
3: My name is Sean, and I am the proud owner of Glamorous Embellishments, featuring paparazzi accessories. Um, I have jewelry that is $5, I have earrings for $5, I have necklaces that come with earrings for $5, I have bracelets for $5, and I have rings for $5, all my rings have stretch bags, and I also have a signature line which is $25 for the necklace and earring sets. I see. Yes.
1: So tell me, um, how did you get into this business?
3: So, um, some years, well, back in 2016, I was. Is that when you started doing that? Yes, in 2016. I was out um, due to cancer, two bouts of cancer, actually. Wow. And um, I started doing this because I wasn't sure at that point what my quality of life was going to be. So I started doing this and it's been great. Um, To God be the glory. I rang the bell at Roswell in August for one of my cancers. I'm still seeing one oncologist, but I'm trusting God and I've continued on this jewelry journey and I love it.
1: Yeah, what do you love about it?
3: I love it because um, it's affordable, it's beautiful and it makes me feel good. Um, You can feel glamorous without feeling guilty for the price. And that's my motto. Feel glamorous, not guilty.
1: <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, it's just the opposite of me. I don't feel glamorous and I always feel guilty. Uh-oh. But that's another well, story. No, we we'll gotta, we got to work on that We'll one. work on that. <laughs> time down the road. So, um... originally from Buffalo?
3: I am. Yeah? Yes.
1: So what did you do before you uh, got into the jewelry business?
3: I actually still do. I work for the uh, Board of Education. Um, Fortunately, I was out longer than anticipated. Again, not knowing what the quality of life would be, but um, I was able to return back to work. So I do do a lot of vending events. I'm at the Broadway Market. This is my second season here. Um, I'm here on Saturdays from October through Easter and of course the two full weeks leading up to Easter. So this is my second season here and it's just great to be here in the community and where I can supply a need for the community at a very affordable price.
1: And what about this, it's under the umbrella, I guess, of Buy Black Buffalo. Right. Tell me about that. I mean, what do you think about it? So, Buy
3: Black Buffalo um, is a great opportunity for minority business owners to showcase their businesses and for people to come out and support them. Um, Unfortunately, some of the, and I won't say unfortunately, as it is some of us minority business owners don't necessarily have a brick and mortar for our business. So this gives us the opportunity for people to come out, see what we have, take a look, see, smell, taste, touch, all of that good stuff. And then they're able to um, get our information and continue to follow us, you know, once this season is over, this month is over. And, you know, of course we know February is observed as Black History Month, but Black History is 12 months a year.
1: I like to ask this question, um, especially you know, over the last year or so. You know, what does Buffalo need? You know, you're, you know, you're from Buffalo. You know, you're involved in a lot of different ways. Um, what does Buffalo need?
3: Uh, I think we need over uh, a little more caring and a little more compassion. Um, but from a business point, we do need venues where business owners, small business owners can come together at an affordable place, affordable rate, excuse me, and be able to showcase their business. You know, we may not necessarily have enough funds to have our own brick and mortar, but to have a place where we can all come together for, a, you know, a fee and be able to display our stuff would be great. That sounds like it a great idea. It would be idea. great. Yeah? It would be great.
1: So what's the best thing about Buffalo? the bills the sabers okay i'm a sports girl
3: you know i get glam with my bling but i'm a sports girl okay it's i'm I'm like bills and bling okay i'm decked out with my bills and i put my bling on okay so it's a sports city you know but you know beyond that we i think overall we we have every city every city has their tough times every city has um People that make things difficult. But overall, when we need to come together, we come together.
1: Yeah, nice so to I think said. that's a
3: good thing about Buffalo.
1: And uh, how about being a, a small business owner? Uh, you love it?
3: I love it. I love it. What's the best part? For me, one of the things that I take pride in and that I get a lot of joy in, um, every time I am vending somewhere, I take the opportunity to bless somebody. So I have to give something away to somebody. At least one item. Sometimes it's more than that. But I have to bless somebody every time. And actually, there was a lady who stopped by here today, and she said, "Oh my gosh, I've been looking for you." And she said, "Were you here like last year?" And I'm like, "Yes." And I wish I would. Her, her husband were just walking through here, and she stopped by and she said, "Oh my gosh," and she's like in tears. And so I looked at her necklace, and it was a necklace that she had gotten from me. And she said that when she was here last year, um, her and her girlfriend, and she saw the necklace and she liked it, and she told her girlfriend, no, I really shouldn't because she had just um, lost her job. And I overheard it, and I wrapped it up, and I gave it to her, and I said, here, this is for you and she came back to tell me thank you and what a blessing that was and how much it really meant to her and she said anywhere anytime I go somewhere and I have to speak and I know it's going to be a nervous occasion for me she said I always wear it she said and I thank you so much because you don't know what it means to me so that for me gives me great joy and great pride in being a small business owner knowing that I can do something to me that's small but it means so much to somebody else. So we can't take for granted the small things because the small things that may seem small to us are ginormous to somebody else. So that was just such a blessing today to have her stop by and tell me that. And it was just great.
1: Thanks, Sean. So. Sean Thurmond is the owner of Glamorous Embellishments. A special thanks to her. Lynette Elliott of Essentials Body Care and Alicia Officer of Unapologetic Coffee for taking time to share their stories. They were at the Broadway Market last Saturday and will be there every Saturday of this month as part of Buy Black Buffalo. There's more to come. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO.
0: Our region is home to some of the finest communities in the world. Explore them through the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel today. Watch the WNED PBS original production, Garden Wisdom for Western New York and Southern Ontario. Learn the secrets to planning, cultivating, and nurturing your own extraordinary garden using time-proven solutions and sustainable methods garden wisdom now streaming on youtube and the pbs video app
1: this is buffalo what's next where we have conversations with the community about moving forward to have your voice heard press the talk to us button on the wbfo app and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air join us on twitter at wbfo or email us at news at wbfo.org together we'll have the conversations that are needed this is WBFO, your NPR station. On Buffalo, what's next? We're back at Buffalo Arts Studio. And today we talk with Jody Lynn Miracle. Her uh, current show, Where the Rust Meets the Land, is on display here at, uh, um, at Buffalo Arts Studio. And Jody Lynn, thanks very much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: So this particular show features a, a variety of installations and, and such but why don't we just kind of get into the background of it first and foremost, what its message is for lack of a better term.
4: Yeah, um, you know, I think of myself as a storyteller and I always try in anything I make to speak to multiple audiences or identities. So it could be any person, it could be a native person, it could be a Haudenosaunee person and then a Haudenosaunee person say with like Uh, a lot of knowledge of our material culture, history, or language, Um, and that being said, this is kind of a series of pieces that are both a meditation on my relationship to Buffalo, Western New York, Dish With One Spoon territory broadly, um, you know, but also in relation to being from Buffalo, from Western New York, not growing up on territory. And really my experience and my family's experience of how do we how do we live our responsibilities to creation and to land how do we you know live these relationships with the natural world in the place where we live in the places where we're from with the reality of of industry of commerce of capitalism of growing up away from our territories and of having our languages lives and traditions you know near stolen from us
1: so let's make sure that we have an understanding of your personal background you grew mm-hmm. up in the buffalo area mm-hmm. and deep connections here in that regard yet like you were just saying you didn't grow up on native land mm-hmm. so this is obviously something that has been a, a driving force for you yeah. in terms of your art to, to Get reconnected, or to connect, perhaps yeah. maybe even a better way of describing it.
4: Well, I'd say it's all native land, regardless of okay. what anybody I, I, calls been, it. But I, and, and well <laughs> um, but I didn't grow up on territory. I've
1: been corrected on that before, and fair well taken, thank you.
4: But I didn't grow up, you know, on territory, on a reservation, and with that experience, you know, I think I didn't take any bit for granted. I grew up. Really trying to consider what it meant to be Mohawk. You know, I mentioned my grandfather is a first language speaker, but him and his siblings didn't teach their kids. Why didn't they teach their kids? Why, why didn't they want us to know these words? What was, what, what was the drive behind that? Or why did my family leave Tiendanega to come to Western New York? You know, I, I had a lot of questions, and um, including, you know, kind of, you know. Um, we didn't grow up going to longhouse or with ceremony, and so I really would try to understand what does it mean to be Mohawk, and what does it mean, especially if I'm away from these places that seem to define Mohawkness in a lot of ways, i.e., a territory or a language, or you know, if people don't know what I look like, you would never think that I'm Mohawk. You know, I'm very, I'm pale, I look white, I have light hair, I have light eyes. So really trying to consider, you know, uh, what it is that drives that. And a lot of what I really came to, you know, through personal experiences, through learning our language and beginning to go to Longhouse and raising my kids at the language and ceremony is it's our relationship not just to other humans, but to creation, to... Um, to living creatures, to the water, to the food we eat, to all of these things far beyond what we have been taught by settler colonial governments, you know, allows us to call ourselves Indian, right? Like, you know, where you're from, or how you look, or how you dress, or, you know. Um, And I, I also, you know, will say my family has a lot of The coping mechanisms that have been developed over centuries to deal with these things that are pretty negative but also the realities that you know i have this deep love of the rust i have i have this almost love of the smell of rotten industry of of you know kind of this and also just these visions when you would go into these now reclaimed kind of rotten industrial spaces or places like the richardson and or not industrial the
1: of oh, the conference. complex yeah. yes mm-hmm. the complex i do want to get into to your artwork obviously and and how it's evolved for you but you use the term coping skills
2: mm-hmm.
1: and part of what buffalo what's next has become is is trying to bring an understanding of, of an individual's scenario people who come from underserved communities mm-hmm. coping skills how can you How do you look back to maybe when you were younger? Whenever time it came for you, where you started to you weren't necessarily Jody, the Western New York teenager growing up like everybody else, but somebody who said, "I've got this other connection that means a lot to me," (laughs) and yeah, and how you you balance that out?
4: I guess that there was never there isn't some coming of age story, right? It was. I remember like because um, it was raised primarily by my mom she 's white in her side of the family, and I love them and um, they're wonderful, but, like, I always share this story of, like, I was five, and I knew that I was, like, Native American, and I'm doing air quotes, right? I like that. But yeah. I, like, remember I was, like, four or five because I was in kindergarten. I was in the shower, and I started just yelling, Mom, Mom! And she came rushing in, and she's like, What? And I was like, What kind of Indian am I? And she was like, What? <laughs> and I was like, What kind of Native American am I? And she was like, You're Mohawk. And she that was it. That's That was the urgency. And I never... I never didn't hold that dear or a deep part of me. And I think that, you know, growing up, even as a small child, and it's it it could we could say it's because I'm Mohawk and there's a blood memory of this relationship to these natural things that sustain us, but there's plenty of not native people who are this way. I just loved Trying to understand the clouds, or the stars were the most enthralling thing, or the mud was just magical for me, or you know, having a favorite tree anywhere I went, and it was just something that was a thread, you know, throughout my life, um, that uh, I think it, is just core to who I am.
1: Sure, and to hear you say to to speak, and I know I could see like the sparkle in your eye when you're talking <laughs> about the stars and the mud. This Is that something from your perspective that those types of things that are appreciated, that natural world, are appreciated in Native cultures that are not appreciated Mm -hmm. to the level they should be in Western culture, for lack of a better term? I think
4: think you walked in when I was installing, and I, I don't remember if you caught this part, but you know... I'll come back to, in Mohawk, we have something called the Ohondagariwatekwa, and then, you know, in some of the other languages, it's called the Ganonyok, but it's most often translated to English as the Thanksgiving Address. And in its shortest form, you hear us saying, we bring our minds together as one and give thanks to, and it starts with the people that are gathered, and it moves from the people to the earth and the waters and the fish, and we keep moving up until we're into celestial beings like the stars and the moon, or, you know, creator and some of our helpers. Um, But when we say it in the long form, when we say it in its fuller form, and it can be three minutes, it could be an hour, we talk about what our relationship is to each of those elements. So, you know, we're thankful to our mother, the earth, because we can walk upon her back, because she sustains us day in and day out, because she works nonstop. And we're grateful that she's wrapped in the white blanket of winter so that she may have rest the way that we all need rest. Or when we talk about the trees, we're grateful that they protect us and they give us warmth. And we talk about specific type of trees. And it's not just how we use them, but it's our, relationship to them. And so I think that it it's one thing to say appreciation or gratitude because I think you can ask anybody on the street, why are are you grateful for the natural world? And you're a jerk if you don't say yes, right? Like you're kind of (laughs) right, you're You're like, Yeah, we need that. We need (laughs) we need water, we need land. People most people can come to that point. But then if you ask what's your relationship, how do you live your responsibility and how are these things living their responsibility to you? it becomes an entirely different conversation where you see the disconnect between these worldviews. And I think that that is what comes out in the show, or I hope does, you know, people may look at it and they might just see leather and some wood and some white cloth, but these are things that came out of deep relationship to the deer and to the people that hunted the deer who entrusted me with this hide. And it comes out of a deep relationship with families who collect this annuity cloth, and trusted me to honor the last thing that of the last bit of the Treaty of Canandaigua, 1794, that the U.S. government upholds is this annuity cloth, or to see these birch bark branches that are a memory for me of me and my friend going on her family's land with her kids and having a wonderful time picking and sorting, collecting and dragging through, and her grandpa had cut them down and was there providing commentary to a lot of hmm. it. You know, so what does it mean wherever we are to live this relationship? Because this Ohando with is also something people will most often recite before ceremony or an important event, but we're supposed to say it every morning. That's how we're supposed to start every new day cycle a way
1: in essence to ground you right off the bat for yeah day.
4: yeah um and so i've been just sitting with what what is my responsibility and what is my relationship to these things beyond saying thank you because that's exploitative right sure so
1: jody lynn miracles with us uh, on buffalo what's next we're at buffalo art studio recording uh, today as a matter of fact we uh, came in as uh, jody was um installing her show where the rust meets the land Uh, if you can't get over here today you can come by through uh, march 1st i believe it's going to be here at the buffalo art studio in the tri-main center so let's talk a little bit more about uh, the um installation of where the rust meets the land you you kind of stole my thunder because the thing that stood (laughs) stood out to me was the or were those um birch branches. Uh, I have one uh, a staff, that a walking <laughs> stick that I use. It's a birch. There's something so very special about that, but that's a, that's a big part of this whole show, right? That there are all these little elements that have special meaning.
4: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I referenced before kind of when I make work, I try to make sure it's appealing in some way to anybody, right? And then there's these valances from, you know, anybody native, Haudenosaunee, people with a lot of, like, these knowledge to read what these symbols are and then also my personal story right but I think that a lot of this I really leaned into trying to make things that are in some way aesthetically pleasing or have this tension between the hard and the soft elements but really sitting comfortably where I don't have to do the labor in each piece of explaining or of meeting an expectation of educating okay. or, um, you know, trying to put a bow on things, right? Like, every everything's fine now, right? Because my kids speak Mohawk. That's not where I come from at all with the work I try to make. The work I make, that's not what I try to do necessarily. And, you know, I was explaining, like, I think, There's a piece called Caroline Parker Didn't Ask for This, and Mm. it's what I was stringing up. And, you know, you're like, okay, we have some cool swirly white fabric things on this red velvet background, and there's some deer hide. Well, you know, I I tanned that deer hide myself, you know, and people I know hunted that deer, and it's hours of labor that goes into that. And, you know, this velvet is commonly our nicer, um, you know, traditional skirts that we see. But, you know, that that's also a story of contact and of settler um, relationships to Haudenosaunee nations, how we came to use those, and also kind of, you know, um, a wink to, to some of the cosmopolitan Haudenosaunee folks that are around, right? And then these strips of fabric are from annuity cloth. I ripped these thin strips of fabric, and it felt so satisfying to tear up these last tokens of this treaty that was supposed to to protect was supposed to be final was supposed to be dependable it was so satisfying to just rip them to shreds something that is considered so sacred in settler courts and craft something beautiful out of them and you know that bump pattern on the bottom you know those are our sky domes that constantly reify our or retell in what we wear our story of where we come from our creation story
1: it is interesting. It's yeah. a, a metaphor of sorts, I guess. So like you tearing up the treaty cloth, yeah. a treaty that more or less was torn up long, long ago, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it still exists, but its it, its meaning has has yeah. been long lost.
4: Yeah, and even you know, not that long ago, like you could point to things like you know Buffalo Creek Reservation. You know, which there's also a projection of driving the borders of what it was so that people can appreciate how huge it is. Um, And also what has happened to these lands now. Right. But, you know, you mentioned it was torn up long ago. But I mean, 1965, you know, they burned my kid's grandpa's house to the ground to build the Kinsua Dam when there was another option. They they he had to watch his entire community be uprooted and for what you know we can still walk by where it was but it's considered too dangerous in air quotes to live now by the US Army Corps of Engineers and you know i see, it's it's important that people remember the 1960s not just cuz not that long ago but it's considered the height and heyday of civil rights and start of you know women's lib movement and meanwhile you have the Kinsua Dam you have the Niagara Power Authority you know at Tuscarora you have the St. Lawrence Seaway which tears through Aquasasne, like where i don't think people appreciate this is not distant memory this is now this is this is happening and it it is a process that keeps happening and that's part of also like that tension is as I is I always avoid feathers in my work because I think people wanna see that because they're All like, right. ah yes, Indian art, I get it now. <laughs> but I also try to avoid going too historical. You know, like there's a white dress that I have which is made from annuity cloth that I originally wore for a performance Um, Why Here, Why Now, which was done at Silo City and then recently um, for Playground just this past October. But I wanted people to see a body. And it was me dancing women's dance, which is the dance that Sky Woman did to make the earth. And it was people that I know and have a relationship to singing these women's dance songs, but it's on concrete. You know, and there's, it also tells the story of the formation of, like, the George, of the Sullivan campaign and the formation Mm -hmm. of Buffalo Creek, which was really set up because of a refugee crisis of Haudenosaunee people on our homelands. But I try to, like, force people to reckon with the reality that we are here. We are in constant relationship to you, whether we want to be or not. We are in constant relationship to the land. And at least for me and some others, I know there's an element of grief of, How do I live that relationship if sometimes the water's too toxic to even touch? How do I live that relationship when I can't grow food in my backyard because the lead content, or even let my kids play back there because the lead content is so high from so much industry here? You know, what does it mean when you have prevented me from doing the most fundamental thing that is part of my Cultural reality as a as a Haudenosaunee person, as a Cayuga person, um, because of things not only in the past but that continue to happen.
1: You mentioned earlier how uh, how you didn't necessarily have that breakthrough moment when it came to your
2: yeah.
1: your uh, relationship with uh, with your um, you know, your your father's heritage as a as a Native American, um, and you also mentioned how you don't necessarily want your shows your artwork to necessarily be over-explanatory it sounds mm-hmm. like you want people to to take it in i'm curious about responses though have you had responses from people who have taken this in and for them maybe it was an ah aha moment where
4: yeah i
1: why well, I, I see this relationship now differently because of your yeah.
4: work Um, I'll reference why here, why now, because it was when it was at Silo City. um, And then that was – I was grateful there was a massive audience far beyond what I expected. (laughs) I expected maybe, like, you know, like my in-laws and my parents, and (laughs) I would have been happy with that. That would have been great. Um, They were all there, too. That was great. But um, I've had a few people who will still bring it up and – or even right after, and they just – they talk about what I had hoped they would get, even if they didn't know about the Clinton-Sullivan campaign, even if they didn't know the Buffalo Creek Reservation existed, even if they had no idea what the dance or the songs I was doing or what the dress made out of, they talk about that smell was so powerful. Like I made, there was burnt corn because the Clinton-Sullivan campaign raised multiple Haudenosaunee communities to the ground, including generations of food stores and people tried to save what they could to use and so now we have dishes that are roasted corn dishes and air quotes that come from this legacy of this destruction of our main source of food and one of our most important relationships that we have um so they were like that smell was was so powerful i was so worried about your feet dancing on the concrete because i was barefoot doing this hearing how hard you were working in your breath trying to move through these moments like I really felt this 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 drive and this desperation and what you were doing um, or you know people comment too on you know how powerful these male singers voices are reverberating in these spaces and what it means and also that this is the first time that these lands have heard these songs or felt these dances on them and who knows how long because right. we've been cut off. You know, and I'm just, some people would be like, how did you come up with the choreography? And it opens to explaining this is the dance that a scared pregnant woman who had already gone through untold trials in her home of Skyworld did to save herself and her unborn child in generations. And um, I'm just grateful that people brought away this, this difficult moment. And they sat with it, and they took in these elements of a full kind of sensory story of what this place can mean, of what these stories are of this place. Even if they don't get this aha moment, they're still having these elements to sit with, even if it leads them to Google. Like, why is corn important? (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. Just curious. Yeah. I
1: I, I had my first uh, bout of corn soup out of the uh, oh. <laughs> tonawanda Seneca Nation uh, back in the fall. It was quite delicious. Yes. <laughs> is that something you make in
4: your house? Yes, it is. Um, I, I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd serve it to too many people outside my family. I do my best, but... <laughs> <laughs> very good,
1: very good. We're with uh, Joni Lynn Maracle on uh, Buffalo What's Next here, talking about her, uh, her uh, show at the Buffalo Art Studio, where the rust meets the land. And we're uh, kind of winding things down here a little bit with our conversation, enjoying it, but... Um, I liked the way you mentioned how the 60s weren't that long ago. That's from Kinzawa Dam, that's yeah. the the, the, the uh, power project up mm-hmm. on the Tuscarora, all these different things. So it's not that long ago that there was a major upheaval by government entities uh, against native mm-hmm. uh, western New Yorkers in this mm-hmm. particular case. Um, this, the narrative though, is it changing, Are, is the general public getting an idea of a better idea of what this relationship historically has been between the United States federal government, local governments, and its native people—is that—is that changing? It, are, you know, are, have we moved beyond the the cowboys and Indian movies of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and even in the 60s? Or is there a lot more to go?
4: I think people want to say that that's happening, but it isn't. I mean, Avatar is dances with wolves, but with aliens. It is still the same whitewashed settler colonial narrative of they need a white savior to come help them, right? That's still the main messaging that you get even, you know, and and it's really exhausting though to want to pat people on the back, or people expecting you to pat them on the back and give them the A-okay for um, the bare minimum. Right. Like I taught at the University of Buffalo and Canisius um, College. And, you know, I would do courses in like, you know, indigenous history, art, feminism, gender and sexuality, Mohawk language. And the first day of class, every time I would ask what reservations are closest to Buffalo? And it would be cricket trips. There's maybe one or two people like if they're from Akron or from Lewiston or or you know Gowanda like it was but by and large it was
1: nobody had an understanding of what Nobody was right here. nobody could
4: even name that and then i would say where do you go to get cheap gas and people would mm. be like Smoke and Joes or you know the one stop or mm. you know they could they could name that so quick but it didn't connect for them and as my time went on teaching more and more students became more and more combative so like we'd get to talking about residential schools and it's actually my I, I pieced out from the university life after that because I was teaching online and it was the pandemic and I'm trying to teach my kids the language and like doing all this work. And I would have students being like, I don't think the church would do that. Well, what proof do you really have? Well, why would they take kids that just like they couldn't even break their own understanding of authority as non-Native people over Native people, over our stories and history and realities. And of course, now we know across Canada, they're finding, we're up to hundreds of thousands of unmarked graves, of mass graves where children who were stolen from their families were dumped, as well as children that were born to children through rape in these places. And they haven't even begun to collect numbers down here. They're just starting to collect stories from this side of the U.S.-Canadian border. And so, you know, when you ask, are we getting a better understanding? I mean, okay, great. We got rid of the Lancaster mascot. Okay, great. Like, you know, there's, you know, headdresses were banned at Coachella. But it is still, like, you look at Kathy Hochul right now. She, like, strong-armed the Seneca Nation, and magically there's now money for a stadium. And she passed. It was a unanimously passed around Native graves and artifacts within New York State. It was unanimously passed, and she vetoed it. So it doesn't really, you know, it's great if, like, you know, somebody walking down the street, like, I am so happy that somebody might know a few words in Seneca, might know the communities, might know these, you know, have relations or can even volunteer at a Native event for free to take that labor off of a Native person, right? But when you look at these things and these ongoing, like, just chipping away at whatever we have, you can't help but just be like, is it enough? And also, should it be on us to do that work? You know, we're, we're raising our kids. We're bringing back language. We're taking them to ceremony. We're teaching them who they should be. And, and I think it's up to the rest of the world to talk to each other and help figure out how to move beyond that. Um.
1: It's very powerful, Jody. Very powerful. And yeah. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to make you reverse, <laughs> reverse course here to a certain extent with a question that we'd like to ask on this program with some frequency. <laughs> Do you have hope?
4: I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have hope. I am, for better or worse, a big old softie filled with <laughs> nothing but hope for the future and my kids and other people's kids. Um, and... I think that's why I bailed on the university. So I was like, I can't keep intellectualizing this. And I love teaching kids. I love working with kids because even, they are hope. They are magic. They are open to nothing but the beauty of the world. And I don't just mean like, you know, working with native kids, but you can teach any child to have a deep respect for a caterpillar. Or you can tell them, you know, Sometimes we can't play in this water because of decisions other people made, but you can change that in the future. Um, yeah.
1: All right, Jody Lynn Miracle. Thanks very much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: Jody Lynn Miracle, the artist. Her uh, show is "Where the Rust Meets the Land." It's at Buffalo Art Studio through March 1st. This is Buffalo. What's next? On WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, sure. WOL and Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown.